Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans, my old friends. I've come to talk with you again. Hey, 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 hey. Guess what? Mercury out of retrograde today. Very exciting. In fact, all planets will be direct January 22nd until April 21st. And this is so great because it feels like we've just been getting hit like over and over again with retrograde after retrograde and astronomical anomaly here and there. And now we get to have this nice time where we're we're going direct. And I have heard from a lot of astrologers that this is a great time of doing, but doing joyfully. It's not just like nose to the grindstone and you have to suffer through it and then there will be a reward. It's more like you're going to step into the work maybe you've been wanting to do and be able to do more of it in a concentrated period of time. We also have a new moon in Aquarius coming up on Saturday. Anyway, let's talk about my guest today. You may have seen her on TikTok, especially if you're on Witch Talk. She's definitely all over there. Her handle is at bright and dark one. Her videos are great. That's actually how I found her. And I was like, I've got to talk to this lady ASAP. Her name is Jen Marie. She is a neurodivergent high priestess, spiritual teacher, and shadow work mentor who specializes in working with those who are new to witchcraft. Even as a child, she sought an answer to the question of why she was here, or perhaps the purpose behind the suffering and uncertainty of all human lives. She could see that something was missing from what schools, churches, and family had taught her about the world. I definitely agree. Her spiritual leadership does not consist of dogmatic rules and the certainty of authority. Jen Marie uplifts those she serves, helping them to discover their own desires and beliefs and build a life of meaning and a magical practice with purpose. She is one of the coolest witches I've chatted with, and I think she really stands for where I hope witchcraft is going. For me personally, it took a long time to identify with the word witch because there's so much baggage to it. It's a spicy one. I mean, I remember recently I was hanging out with my great uncle and I, you know, he said something about witches and I said, well, I'm a witch. And he was like, no, you're not. Ha ha ha. And I said, no, I, I really am. I'm a practicing witch. And he and my cousin looked at me like, she's kidding, right? So it's still this crazy notion for so many people. And if you Google witch definition, like right now, the first thing that will come up, number one, a noun, a person thought to have magic powers, especially evil ones, popularly depicted as a woman wearing a black cloak and pointed hat and flying on a broomstick. The verb is cast an evil spell on. Now, if you go to, let's say like Merriam-Webster, first thing that pops up, a person especially a woman who is credited with having usually malignant 
supernatural powers. And if you go down to the second one, it's a woman who is believed to practice usually black magic, often with the aid of a devil or familiar. If you scroll down further, it says straight up, very simple, a mean or ugly old woman. That just blows my mind. It is so deeply entrenched in our culture to deny your innate magic. So there's a lot of misconception about this stuff. Like my uncle probably thinks I'm bad shit crazy. Well, I know he thinks I'm bad shit crazy because I voted for Biden. I love AOC, who is a witch in his mind. And that's where a lot of the rhetoric is fucked up too. It's crossed over into the political sphere. My great uncle straight up thinks that AOC is some kind of nefarious antichrist-like person who is trying to destroy America. So even though we have these amazing phones and all of this incredible technology, the same damaging propaganda about magic, about female energy and power, it still exists. And it's not just like in the background, it is front and center. And I just think we have to be more open-minded and remember that history is repeating itself it's the same rhetoric. It's the same witch hunt. It's just a different decade. It's just a different century. It's baffling, really. I could go on and on, but I won't. I'll just give you what my definition of a witch is. Witches are beings who work with the cycles of earth and the cosmos, engage with universal powers, and embody magical practices that manifest synchronistic and or miraculous results into various shared realities. I am a queer fucking witch. Bite me. Anyway, in part one of this chat, Jen Marie and I talk about her magical childhood, the overlooked but important role of emotion regulation in witchcraft, and how social conditioning affects our ability to experience and work with magic. All right, my witches and weirdos, let's get into neurodivergent magic with Jen Marie. I'm doing well so far. <laughs> I'd love to start with how did you get into witchcraft specifically, I think, and the weirdest and earliest experience that you had with the other or a non-human entity or something like that. Oh, this is so difficult. I know. It's, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> My parents are magical practitioners, both in their own rights, but magic has been a part of my upbringing from the beginning. Uh, my parents took a very hands-off approach. They didn't instruct any of us. They just shared information and shared about their practices. Uh, my first introduction to energy work was Tai Chi. When I was like a toddler, my mom actually studied in Japan when she lived there as a child and martial arts was a really big part of her upbringing. So she did that with us. So I guess you could technically say that ritual movement arts was my introduction to magic and just the, the physical sensations of moving energy around through something like Tai Chi was profound when I was younger, but I was a blind kid too. So this was like a big deal. It taught me balance and how to feel outside of my physical body. Mm -hmm. So I guess that was my earliest 
introduction or initiation to magic and how it can affect your day to day. Everything that we did was in some way kind of connected to it. But I, my brain is autistic and magic, energy, the unseen, and then eventually psychology and the occult and witchcraft was a special interest. It all ties together. I know it sounds like a bunch of different things, but it's all like the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I have been deeply fascinated with it since I was in elementary school. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you said your parents were both magical practitioners. Were they... Mm -hmm. Did they identify as witches or pagans or did they just kind of what what was their what were their practices? Like, what were they doing? Potions in the kitchen or right? right? (laughs) So when speaking about that generation's practices, they're very secretive. So I can only really share so much. They did not identify as witches, even though my mama's background, like hindsight, looking into it, totally Appalachian folk magic. That's that is what it was. But even now she doesn't identify it as that way. And then my dad was part of a secret hermetic order. Yeah, that's a lot of that's as far as I can get into that part. Yeah, no, that I completely understand. So right. you really came by it honest. You, yeah. It, yeah. So it, yeah. it was there. You had the fertile ground. And what a cool time to learn Tai Chi too. Like right. energy movement when your brain is so spongy. Right. Exactly. That's exactly. awesome. And then I guess when you said your brain is autistic, you're mm-hmm. meaning that seriously. Have you mm-hmm. Are you diagnosed yeah. with autism? Yep. And ADHD and uh, and CPTSD and like <laughs> all yeah. the, all the letters, <laughs> all the, all the letters. I have them all. And so do you feel like that helped you? Absolutely. Get yeah. really deep into the subject matter, I guess is what I'm getting yep. at. Like you gave you, cause you ha- explain that to me. Like how did it help? Okay. So the way a neurodivergent mind works, the hyper fixations, the ability to just get completely lost in something forever, like the whole time, years, <laughs> right? All, yeah, all years, of life. <laughs> years and years and all of life makes it to where I feel like it becomes a specialty times a million, right? It's a part of every conversation I have. My entire lived experience revolves around this hyperfixation, which is, you know, the unseen <laughs> and what's going on. Like, what are we doing here? And Yeah, the woo, all of the woo. And so I think that that, I mean, of course it was a good thing. (laughs) I mean, I didn't see it like that at the time, right? And that's a big distinction too. My lived experience as a, you know, blind autistic kid with ADHD that moved every six months, like that was very different than hindsight, what I see it as now, because the whole like being super isolated all the time and all of that does play a part in kind of why like I'm so community focused, why I believe so strongly in connection and in like authenticity and vulnerability and all of those things. But I think I'm going on a side quest here, which I do often. So I'm going to bring <laughs> it right. back around. <laughs> 
I love side quests. <laughs> oh, I'm all about them. So I think that like in general, first of all, 99.99% of magical practitioners are neurodivergent in one way or suspect that they are. And I think that there's something about the way that a neurodivergent brain develops that makes us just extra sensitive to all of the things, right? Mm -hmm. These sensory issues that we're talking about all of the time. I I think that's your clairs turned all the way up. I think that yeah. we were just born into bodies with our clairs turned all the way up. And then through social conditioning, we were gaslit to believe that there's something wrong with us. And so we get into this cycle of I'm broken, I'm broken, and I'm unacceptable. And I'm like this wayward bit of trash. And then that kind of forms our perspective. But if you turn a magical lens on that same thing. It's like, holy shit, like infinite possibilities in this mind. And right. if we are allowed to explore the things that we're curious about, and we're allowed to truly get to know ourselves with acceptance, the possibilities are endless. Like we're not, we're not supposed to be identical. We're not supposed to be the same. We're supposed to fit together like puzzle pieces. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such a, an important distinction because I had a similar, I think we talked about in the pre-call, like I've moved around a lot as well. And I'm also neurodivergent. And mm -hmm. I think there is that sort of initial phase. And sometimes it lasts a really long fucking time, damn it. But it's hard. And it's like, you don't want to be different and you, you're you isolated. And right. then, you know, if you're lucky and you find your people and you find your voice, like there's a power there that's really almost indescribable to people who are not neurodivergent. But like, people like to be around people like that. It's right. magnetic. And there's mm -hmm. something about that like transition that allows for the opening to be even sweeter when it happens or something. I don't right. even know if I have my finger completely on it, but it's magic. It's it's really interesting. Oh, I could go into all of my theories about why all of this is. And we could just like go on and on about it because <laughs> again, this is something that I've been obsessed with like my whole life trying to figure out like what the fuck is going on why are we here what is yeah. happening and like what what am I not being told here because I definitely know that there's stuff that we're not being told absolutely and again that was like my whole life I tell people all day long I say this all day long the only thing that is standing between you and your like alignment with your personal power is your social conditioning period that's it boom that's all it is. It's because our lived experience is defined by our perspective and our perspective is defined by our beliefs. Our beliefs are defined by our social conditioning. I think people know that emotionally or instinctively, they can feel it. You know, they feel like whatever they have, I want that, you know, when they yeah. see it, but they don't exactly know how to get there because the social conditioning is so loud. It's so strong. Right. And, and, yeah. and it was designed to keep you from questioning things. Exactly. It was designed to put you in a defensive mode anytime your value is questioned at all. Right. right. Because our access to resources 
is dependent on our ability to conform and to fit in. And so if we are seen as weird or different or wrong or bad, then our life is threatened, yeah. uh, sometimes more than others, right? Depending on a lot of different factors. Yeah. But it's this whole thing, breaking down that social conditioning is the scary part. But that's a part of most initiation practices into magic, any magical tradition, because the mundane perspective is very different than a magical perspective. And you have to peel back, again, that social conditioning, you have to peel off that mundane perspective in order for you to even see your worth, your magic, the magic around you. It was It's an intentional thing. Like it was, it was intentional to disconnect us from our magic. Yeah. And I don't even love to go down like conspiracy theories and stuff because it's like too much for my brain, but like there is no fucking way that we are not, I mean, it, we could go into that. Right. (laughs) And the cool, the cool thing is that it's not a conspiracy. It's not. It's It's just a fucking history, right? (laughs) It's historical. I actually, the content creator Mad in Craft on Mm -hmm. TikTok, she's someone that we're working on doing some kind of something together based on solely on the, the political side of witchcraft and the history of witchcraft and things like that. Oh, I love Um, that. Yeah. And why we have the social conditioning that we do, where it comes from, why it originated. I mean, I don't necessarily think that there's like someone pulling the strings, I think is just like the evolution of what happens in a dominion-based social construct, which is what Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I try to use my own words sometimes uh, when describing things like that, just because so many people have opinions or perspectives on what different words mean and it gets all twisty. But I, I talk a lot about the polarities in magic because I think that some of the words that are used are really confusing, like the whole white magic and black magic and Mm. good witch and bad witch and left hand path, right hand path. It gets really confusing because people use them in different ways. And so those, because I work with brand new practitioners, primarily, I try to break it down a little bit more than that and and try not to use like lingo so much because they don't understand it. They don't know what what I'm saying. And so I talk about the polarities. It's not just in magic, but it's in life in general. You have the polarity of power over all, and you have the polarity of power for all. Power over all is dominion-based. It's about control. It's about forcing your will onto your environment. It's how you work your magic as well. It's through force of effort and and force of will to make things happen. And with power for all, that is based in connection. It's based in cooperation, empowerment, and there is no like hierarchy like there is in a dominion-based polarity. So for example, for a magical practitioner, if they're wanting to move a candle flame, right? A power over all polarizing witch would command the flame to move, right? They would own it and they would command it to move through their force of will. And that will is cultivated. It's something that's practiced. And you have to really believe, right? You have to have no doubt that you're able to move that flame. And then a power for all polarizing witch will become the flame. 
They will align with it. They will understand the nature of a flame and work within that together. It's a cooperation based. And that's the polarity that I function in is through empowerment and through support. And that's how the resource center is set up as well is trying to be an example of what does it look like? What does a business look like that is a power for all polarizing like entity, as opposed to like most business structures that have like the hierarchical stuff. So the organizational structure of the resource center is completely flat. There is no one person telling everyone else what to do. It is absolutely a collective thing. And everyone is doing the thing that lights them up, the thing that they are absolutely passionate about. That is all they do. And in fact, if they come across something that they hate doing and they're like, fucking don't want to do this anymore. They just say something and someone else is like, I totally dig the shit out of doing that. Can I do that thing? And it is the coolest thing to be a part of and to experience. And it's also, we abide by a servant, servant leadership theory. And so it's like an upside down triangle. We have support team upon support team that's supporting the next like upside down. And then you have the greater community. And it's been a a really cool thing to be able to tell people, hey, you can actually experience what I'm talking about, like what a community looks like that is not a dominion based support, empowerment, and alignment based. Yeah. So that means that I am personally invested in your alignment. The closer you come to your authentic self, the more powerful we all become. The the more you dive down and follow your curiosity and the more you understand yourself and how you personally connect to your magic, the more powerful we all are. And again, on the other side, it's the more you learn. So if I were a power for or a power over, I would expect you to learn how I do things. And the more you learn how I do things and the more you not question me and put your faith in me, the more powerful I become. That's right. that's how that goes. Knowing this piece. So I teach all of those that, you know, I hate the word followers and I even hate the word students because it does <laughs> that. Like I have a visceral reaction to <laughs> I am so avoidant of it. And in fact, even though I was given the title through the work that I do. I didn't start referring to myself as a high priestess until I started the TikTok account. And that was through the like heavy coercion from the elders that I work with frequently. They're like, you you earned it. It defines a position in a group ritual, which is what the label of high priestess is in the groups that I ran in, right? All okay, so let's backtrack a little bit. All covens run differently. So a coven, which I think is kind of confusing, and I think there's a lot of like different information about what a coven is, but generally speaking, covens are a group of magical practitioners that have a specific working that they're doing together. And in order to do group ritual under most coven dynamics, it's that that hierarchical thing. You have to all be kind of doing the same thing and you have to be practicing the same in order to hold the energy in such a way that a vacuum isn't created. 
within a group. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why initiations are necessary because you can't have someone that doesn't know how to hold energy in a group setting because they'll just like let all the energy run out because they just don't know. Well, on what you just said, I'd love to know about what is the other alternative to a coven? (laughs) A group of magical practitioners just practicing magic together. So a coven is like like a lifetime commitment, right? You are perfectly aligned with the people that you're doing magic with. There's a connection there. There's a vetting process that is done. You have to make sure that you guys can work magic together in order to do things. And oftentimes a coven's purpose is just to like, you know, observe different rites, the Sabbaths and Espets together. That is most commonly what covens are for. And a group of practitioners that are are working magic together um, that are not a coven. So most covens are like nine people or less. It's not very many. You have to be able to fit into a circle and different covens have different ideas of what that looks like as well. But you can have a whole community of people coming together and, you know, observing rites, but the magic is done a little bit differently. Gosh, that's so hard to explain. I often wish I could just like take you guys over to like <laughs> practice with. Yeah, can somebody. I just show you in real just life? Come like, on over, I'll show you. <laughs> yeah. I, well, okay. So, what you were talking about before, I think, was like that subservience and how it's mm-hmm. driving you crazy, and how right. you know you're purposefully have reconstructed your your business in a way that's more that collective versus the dominion. Which I love that terminology. It's great. Right. It really reminds me of Star Wars and the Force. Anytime you tried to push and push, it was so much harder. Right. And it was when you surrendered and you get into that that state or even like the Matrix with the spoon, you know, you have to become the spoon, right? Like you can't will your way. I mean, I suppose you could, but it's so much more energy right. to do that. And I spoke to a, a shaman relatively recently who was talking about, well, she identifies as a shamanic practitioner, I should say. And she was just in witchcraft first, you know, that was her jam. I mean, she was like steeped in it for decades. And then she really started to move into the shamanic practitioner vibe. And she said like a lot of the reasoning was that that will was such a strong part of witchcraft. And then we got really in a side tangent about that because that's something that bugs me about witchcraft is that like, Mm -hmm. wait a second, I I always feel like there's something a little off when I'm in circle and I never can put my finger on it. But what you, I guess I kind of can, but what you just said, almost like that's just it right there. So listeners, if you'd like to listen to that again, before you (laughs) join a coven, I mean, because it's really important, that distinction between willing your way, commanding, forcing, Right. Efforting. All of that is such an energy drain. It is. Versus the more feminine approach, which is receptive, I think. Tell me what you think. I tend to not like gender, like categorize energies so much. It doesn't make sense to me. That to me is like a social construct kind of thing. So I I tend to not assign gender to energetics so much because I I think that the whole reason we do that is because we were put into gender roles through social conditioning, Yeah. right? Yeah. Because I was trained as a child that a woman is supposed to be like this. And so we use gender definitions for energy because our brain already understands it. Mm-hmm. Like we have to think about magic. Neuropsychology and magic are just like, they are 
very good bedfellows. A lot and of people would disagree think, with you. <laughs> I know, right? I, know, I would agree with you, but you are literally training your brain how to hold information and you are defining your perspective when you initiate into a magical tradition. Each tradition has a different path to do it. Each tradition has different correspondences. It has different rights, but that's a part of the initiation practice is to learn these things and to train your brain to think a specific way. And sometimes those like gender roles are so ingrained into like the different traditions, especially the more modern ones like Wicca and stuff like that, that it's just easier, I guess, to assign the energy gender because it's already there Mm -hmm. instead of completely deconstructing the bullshit and building your own Mm -hmm. practice and building your own way of making connections. That's a really good point. And, you know, I guess a better way to put it would be like just that more receptive, collective, more cooperative, more yielding almost, but not yielding in like a negative way, yielding in sort of like a Tai Chi way or like what's the other one that's so good with the yielding? Aikido. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, right? Where you're actually using the force, the command, the dominion of the other person almost against them by doing very little. But your power is even greater. That's that difference. And I'm not really saying, and I don't think you are either, that like the dominion land is trash. You know, I personally am much more interested in us moving toward the opposite. But you know, if that still works for you and you're not harming anyone, I guess that seems fine from my perspective. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think that both polarities are valid and valuable. We need contrast in order to make authentic choice and authentic choice is everything in magic and in life. So I, we have to have that contrast. Yeah. At least on this planet, I go back and forth, whether I think it's on every planet or every dimension or, you know, we could, we're going to go down. Oh my God, that's going to be fun. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Who knows? But definitely on this planet, we need the contrast to learn the way we do here with gravity and density and all that shit. But let's go back to the thing you said about mundane and magical, because I really love this. (laughs) You said something in the pre-call that I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were talking about deconstructing the mundane and reconstructing the magical. I love this because I'm the kind of person who a lot of times people, when they find out I'm a witch, they're like, wait, what? Like it doesn't fit. (laughs) And they ask me a lot of questions and I don't always know how to really explain that it's a different space. It does Mm -hmm. not operate in linear time. How do you help your students or your, no, we hate that word. I know. I got to come up with a better word. (laughs) Your people. My cousins. cousins. My cousins. Your cousins. Yes. How do you help your cousins deconstruct the mundane and reconstruct the magical? And I do realize that this is something that's not like a one-time thing. Right. It's a process. So I'm going to dial this back a little bit. Okay. Okay. So you have a physical body and you also have an energetic body and they overlap through your nervous system and they connect through your emotions. Right. So that's just, it's so basic. Like I'm, cutting out a whole lot of nuance, but very basically that's what's going on. Well, through our social conditioning, how are we taught to handle our emotions? How's our relationship with our emotions? It is shit, right? It is shit. It is shit. So we are taught 
through rejection, through punishment, through isolation, to repress our emotions, to ignore them, to push them away, to bottle them up. The problem with that is that is how we access our energetic body. That's how we access our clairs is through the same pathways that we process emotions, that we understand emotions. And our emotions are a way that our body communicates with us about our perception, about our environment, right? So what I start with is helping people to understand emotions and learn how to actually allow your body to process your emotions. And I know that it sounds very simple, but that is the key that that right there, your emotions are the roadmap to finding your authentic self. And I start with what I call the shutter exercise. It makes sense later. And I tell everyone, this is like some Mr. Miyagi Yoda shit because <laughs> it's this little simple thing, but five years from now, you're going to be applying it to your magic and being like, oh man, Jen, you totally told me I'd be doing this. What it is, is when you have a strong emotional reaction to something, it's pausing in that moment and recognizing that, you know, I'm, I'm having an emotional reaction and, oh, geez, I need to step back again. You are not your body. You are not your thoughts and you are not your memories. You are the observer behind all of these things. You're the one that's experiencing them and you're the one that makes the choices. With that being said, when you're having an emotional reaction, like some dude cuts you off, right? You're driving down the road, some Todd cuts you off in his big red truck and you just go into like that motherfucker, he almost Todd. drove me off the road, right? And so you go right into your brain. You're like, I almost drove off the road and then I'd be in the hospital and my kids and see me all in a ventilator and blah, blah, blah. And your brain just goes into this like problem solving and going into all of these like stories of possibilities that could be happening in like a split second. Right. Mm -hmm. And we get all worked up. And every time we think about some like awful thing that could have happened, it re-triggers our body to release fight or flight chemicals, right? It engages us. And what happens then is that it cuts off your mind's ability to think logically because you're in fight or flight. You can't think logically when you have cortisol and adrenaline and all of that coursing through your body. So what we what we need to do firsthand is to stop, put your hand on your heart, which gives you compression and helps you calm your nervous system and say, I am allowed to feel. And in this case, it would be fear, right? You, you felt fear. You almost got run off the road by Todd in his big red truck. <laughs> I'm allowed to feel fear in my body. It feels like, and keep your brain trained on the physical sensation of that emotion. It feels like my heart is pounding. It feels like my cheeks are flushing and your brain's going to want to keep kicking into stories, right? And you got to keep it out of the stories and into the physical sensation and you breathe into it. And on your exhale, imagine that you have these little shutters like pores all over your body and shutters like a camera lens and they just open up and you allow yourself to feel the emotion with full acceptance. Of course, I'm feeling fear in my body. I'm allowed to feel fear in my body. And what happens is that your body actually processes the emotion within like 90 seconds. It's really fast. For some reason, our brains think that if I allow myself to feel depression or fear or any of these, I'm going to get stuck there, overwhelmed. I'm never going to come out of it again. But that's 
that's not true. <laughs> that's and you start, sounds like. that's what a lie sounds like. It'll happen like this forever. It's never going to change. This takes practice though. It takes practice. Sure. You have to just keep doing it. And what you're doing is relaying neural pathways. You are teaching your brain like emotional regulation. You're teaching your brain emotional maturity. You're teaching your brain to not go into stories which isn't real. None of that is real. It's not going to happen. It didn't happen. Like even if it's happened before, like in CPTSD kind of instances, it's not helpful to go there. So staying very present is everything. Your power is in this now moment right now. And training your brain to stay here is everything. And that's part of that changing from the mundane perspective to the magical perspective, gaining a relationship with your attention. Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Yes. Not yes. control. Like I'm trying to take control out of the whole like vocabulary because it's not control. Control means you're fighting something. There is mm. effort that is exerted. You're not doing that with your body. It's, this is your teammate. Your body is a sacred animal that you have a symbiotic relationship with, a consensual symbiotic relationship with. You guys are a team that came here to do a very specific working that only you know, only you can define, and only you know the way to get there. So most of my work is helping people remember who they are and to remember the sound of their own voice without me leading them. Mm. So I tend to do a lot of turn back. People ask me all the time, well, how do I do this? What, what do I do here? What do you think you should do? What do you feel like you should do? What makes mm. sense to you right now? And encourage people to start thinking for themselves to repair their relationship with their intuition by actually guessing, like fucking guess, guess what makes sense to you, what yeah. feels right. And that's how you start to develop your clairs as you start leaning into things, you start leaning into your energetic perceptions of things. Oh, that was so good, Jemmarie. Stop <laughs> it right now. Never. Okay. I love all this. For some of my baby witches or people that are like not witch into witchcraft at all, the Claire's, we're talking about Claire audience, clairvoyance, mm -hmm. Claire yep. sentience, Claire, those Claire's. But wow, so many things. Everything that you're saying really reminds me of Buddhist meditation, specifically right. Vipassana, which is the body scan, essentially. And the whole practice is about exactly what you just said. Like you could have just taught a Vipassana class. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> and I, I love that there's such an overlap with that. And I think people don't get that that is actually in my opinion, at least the very foundation of magic is being able to go into that space and being able to feel what you're feeling and not trying to force your thoughts to go away or, you know, right. force anything. You're just there observing. And specifically what was so Buddhist of it, focus on the physical sensations mm -hmm. because all kinds of other stuff is always going on. But that part is what allows the suppression cycle to sort of stop in that moment. Right. Right. And it's hard. I mean, it's a lifelong process. I still work on this stuff all the time. The cool thing about it is that 
it is like fast track catapulted when you're doing it within a community setting because you have, I know you have everyone doing the same thing. So when you're like, dude, I just, I was in traffic today and I had this experience. It's like Todd in a big red truck cut me off and I was super pissed off, but I was able to just like do my shutter exercise and I was able to get this clarity and blah, 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 and go from this perspective to this perspective, the to me perspective, which is the mundane perspective of, you know, my life is happening to me. I'm a victim of my life. I did bad things. So I'm being punished. That's why my life is difficult. So going from that perspective to a magical perspective, which is a for me, my life is happening for me. This, there is something in this for me. There is a tool here that I need to, to learn or to acquire to prepare me for what's coming kind of a perspective. Right. And so By doing that within a community setting and getting that support, I have never seen anything like what's happening at the resource center in the sanctuary community with the foundations program. So these practitioners are getting to perspectives that took me years to get to, Um, years of pouring through all of these different traditions and different belief systems and different ways of looking at things. They're getting it in a few months through the support of community, through modeling, actually showing this is what that looks like. This is what it can look like. What does it look like for you? Mind blown every single day watching these people grow like they are. Yeah, I think that's what I'm looking for in this lifetime, especially. I'm very much like you and, you know, I moved around a lot. So there's a lot of focus on community in my adult life and it probably will till I die. I love people. I love being around them. My magic excels when I'm around people. And I feel like I keep getting into, or I have in the past, you know, little spiritual groups. It's just, like I said before, I feel like there's something missing. There's some element that feels too boxed in for me. One of the covens I was in in LA, like the one high priestess was just downright mean. And I was like, Mm -hmm. you have so much knowledge. I'd love to learn from you, but don't talk to me like that. And right. I find that a lot with covens, the high, mm-hmm. the high priestess or priestess, they're almost like dicks, for lack of a better term. Right. The power goes to their head and they take that term so seriously. It's mm-hmm. so refreshing to hear that you were actually like bucking the terminology. Oh, yeah. And also that the way you teach is how you said, which was, you know, when people ask you for advice, you actually encourage them to go to the wisdom that they hold within. Right. And that to me is really real leadership. When you're not telling somebody what to do, you're not efforting. You're literally like giving a space to someone to explore safely and authentically. Because I have that aversion to subservience, as soon Mm -hmm. as I feel that come up in a dynamic, I think, well, how can I do this differently? Mm -hmm. Um, How would I approach this in a way that feels more aligned with my polarization, like how I'm trying to go here. So it was difficult growing up as someone who had a visceral reaction to subservience. Like public (laughs) school was awesome, (laughs) right? (laughs) Super fun. Great. But yeah, that's why I didn't actually initiate into a coven, though I did go through the initiation processes because I wanted to learn about that 
specific perspective on magic, which is why I did so many initiations. Again, with the hindsight, I know what I was doing now, but at the time I was really frustrated with myself because I'd go through all this work. And then when it was came time to actually do an initiation ceremony, I was like, I actually don't want to join the coven, <laughs> but thank you so much. That was why I never joined a coven, but I did work a lot with covens. There's underground witchcraft community covens. A lot of them know each other, especially like in the same region. And this was in the Pacific Northwest. And I did a lot of work in bringing the covens together and practicing together because I specialize in radically inclusive rituals. I write radically inclusive rituals so that any witch any magical practitioner from any background can be in circle with any other magical practitioner from any background and still get something out of the ritual and the spellcraft even. It's a fun challenge for me to do radically inclusive stuff because it, you have to be more creative. You have to be innovative about it. And you have to have an understanding of traditional magic as well so that you can touch on things just enough for the experienced practitioner to engage their intentional magical programming, you know, mm -hmm. uh, so that we can do that. So that's what I did a lot of and learned a lot from because I, I got to work with so many high priests and high priestesses and do these big group rituals. That's awesome. I just am so inspired by your work, really, because I, I just don't hear this ever. I really don't. And hello, right? I have a podcast. I am interviewing people all the time. And this idea that you're creating circles that are radically inclusive for different yeah. kinds of practitioners is just like, yes. it just doesn't happen. Like very rarely, there are some. It comes back to the same thing that we keep saying, getting stuck mm -hmm. in the box, right? It's yeah. like, Fuck when boxes, I man. put the box, the, the earlier coven I was in was this um, Irish Druidic and it, it was wonderful. <laughs> it really was in a lot of ways. But at what point are we just following some guy's yeah. ideas about how we're supposed to do this? When are we leaning more on our intuition as a group and allowing the like right. natural magical skills that we have? We just have to unearth them. You know, right. like you said, it's really just digging up all that social construct. Right. Under there are all these am amazing little gifts that we have. I think that we really get stuck in the rules so much. It's like yeah. you gotta, you gotta do the druidic, and you can only do the gardenerian, and you can only do and and I just get tired right. of it. Right. Well, and it's like so a lot of the like rules. That's a social conditioning thing, right? We were taught that if we do not abide by the rules, it's dangerous. And so that's why we end up like tone checking each other and, you know, like whether you're doing it right or wrong. That's because our protector parts are engaged. We think that someone's going to cause harm if they do it wrong or if they aren't following the rules. And so we, depending on how traumatized we were as children, is directly related to how severely we tone check other people, how we mind other people's cauldrons, right? Ooh, that is that. completely dependent on how deeply that was ingrained into us. And so, I mean, that's why this whole deconstructing your social conditioning is so important to starting a magical practice. Otherwise, you're just taking that bullshit and you're putting a magical label on it mm -hmm. and you're continuing Continuing to perpetuate the hierarchical shit that is keeping us repressed, suppressed. Absolutely. 
Yeah. All, all of the pressed. All, all of the, the pressed. pressed. <laughs> all of them. Okay. So you just said something about, you know, the the tone checking and how we're up in each other's cauldrons and stuff. We get up in each other's business instead of focusing on our own work. <laughs> That's what humans that were raised in dominion-based social constructs do. Because yes. there are cultures out there that do not do this. There and most of them are indigenous. Exactly. They, they do not do this. And so I and I'm sorry for cutting you off, but at the same time, it's like, ooh, 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 ooh that's a that's a thing. It's not everyone. We're both ADD. Uh, it's, it's okay. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really important for people to know that, hey, this isn't a generally accepted thing. It's only what we've been exposed to. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be this way. This is a choice. You can choose to continue uh, functioning within your social conditioning. Mm-hmm. Or you can choose the hard work of deconstructing that shit so that you can actually live a life that is in alignment with your authentic self so that you can actually do what you came here to do because you're not doing it right now and you know it. And that is why people are so depressed and feel so disconnected and yes. so lost and and longing for this feeling of home, that mm-hmm. longing to go home is the part of you that remembers the deep connection that you really have that you had to reject through your social conditioning. You remember that. Yeah. Your your soul does. Your body remembers being connected to your environment, to being connected to your magic when you were a kid as you were when you were a kid. That's why you've got all these stories of, oh, when I was a kid, I used to see things out of the corner of my eyes and I used to hear things and I used to have imaginary friends, but that all died off when I was a teenager. It's because of the social conditioning. Yeah. Once you get to high school, man, that is not accepted. High school is a very, very hard place. No matter where you are on the spectrum, I mean, popular, nerd, you know, whatever goth, you know, the, the traditional like TV American high school. Okay. And I actually just... graduated high school when I was 15. And do wow. you want to know why? Because you wanted to get the fuck out. <laughs> and I had a teacher tell me that I couldn't do it, that it was impossible. I was like, motherfucker, I'll you show you. That. Summer See? break comes on. I dove into it. Here's all the shit. Here I go. Mm-hmm. You Goodbye. Were like, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you all the way, man. <laughs> I want to go back to so many things, but one is the dominion. This It also is connected to this adding on. And I think a lot of people think that you have to add on things to make yourself more whole. And it's Mm-mm. actually the reverse. Yeah. It's a stripping yep. away to yep. get to what you said. It's, it's remembering who you are prior right. to being in physical body. Right. You know, it's it's that remembering that is like what you're trying to cultivate in these practices, right? Exactly. And I I think that for the average person, I'd say that's kind of a a real humdinger. It really is. (laughs) It's like, wait a second, the status quo, just because it's the fucking status quo doesn't mean it's good shit. Like the status quo is fucked. Yeah, the status quo fucking sucks. I love talking to Jen Marie and I can't stop thinking about deconstructing the mundane and reconstructing the magical. 
reconstruct means that's who you were all along. It's always remembering who you were before manifested form. And that is something that is so hard to remember in a culture that is constantly teaching me that if I buy this serum, I will feel and look better and fit in. If I do 1,000 hours of work a week, I will feel worthy because my worth is wound up in productivity. How are you supposed to remember something so simple when those are the messages that were sent every day, all day, every day? It's hard, but we're doing it. If I can do it, you can do it. If you want to, I think you do though. Why are you here? What working, what lifelong ritual that only you could do, did you want to do? The only way you can figure that out is by deconstructing the mundane. There is far more to life than we think there is. Who am I? Who are you? Where did you come from? Why are you here? Where are you going? And why? I want to maintain my curiosity and follow the woo and see where it takes me. Be brave. One other thing I want to comment on is something Jen Marie said about Todd in the big red truck where you put your hand on your chest and you check in with your emotions and you allow yourself to feel them and all that. When she said that, it reminded me of one of my favorite quotes from Viktor Frankl, who is an incredible author. He wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And here's the quote. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So the whole concept that both Viktor Frankl and Jen Marie and any person who's accessed some level of wisdom is here comes the stimulus like Todd and his dumb red truck pulls out in front of you. And then there is a response that will come. And in my case, most of the time it's fuck you or Jesus Christ. And the goal is to lengthen the pause between the stimulus and response. And in that space, you can for a hot second, instead of just reacting from the primal brain, you can say, oh, okay, that guy's a jackass, but I'm okay. I'm going to breathe. I'm not going to mimic Todd's shitty energy level because I don't have to. I can accept that I was afraid for a moment and I can release that. Obviously, like most of the shit we talk about, this is a lifelong practice. I fail at it all the time. So don't think I'm on my high horse telling you how to fucking do it. We'll be down there in the trenches together. If you want to check out what Jen Marie's up to, first of all, check her out on TikTok. She's got a gajillion followers. Her handle, again, is at Bright and Dark One. Also check out her Alignment Resource Center, which she talks about in this episode. There is so much amazing stuff there. It's brightanddark.org. Also, Jen Marie hosts what's called Sass Mask. And it's just this conversational Zoom that she does every week. It's on Sundays, 11 a.m. PST. 2 p.m. EST, Zoom, there's a link right on the website, pops right up. And that's a place where anyone, you could be a member of the Resource Center or not, you can hang out and talk about all things witchy and metaphysical. And occasionally they even have other experts come on and chat. So if you're kind of just wanting to dip your toes into what it feels like to be a part of a modern witchy network, SAS Mass would be a great place to start. And that's also on the brightanddark.org website slash SAS Mass, which is S-A-S-S dash M-A-S-S. 
okay, my witches and weirdos stay empowered, connected, and radically inclusive. Empowered, connected, and radically inclusive. Love you. Bye. Thank you for following the woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow the Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 